Well, good evening. Um, I'm glad everybody is here tonight as we continue our series on the book of Nehemiah. Uh, the overall theme is let's build something together. Uh, Nehemiah is one of those great post-exilic books in the Old Testament that shows some of the challenges that God's people faced as they came back after the Babylonian exile. I wish I could be with you tonight. Uh, my doctors have referred me uh, for a doctor's appointment uh, late this afternoon uh, at Duke, Duke Medical Center in Raleigh. So that's where I am this evening. But I didn't want to break the momentum of beginning the series last week. So I want to do this tonight by video. Uh, this is a totally new thing for me. Uh, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Bear with me. Might stumble over myself a little bit uh, trying to do this uh, by the tape. Uh, at the conclusion of the video, I'm going to ask Dr. Willis if he would come up and lead in a time of discussion. Let's get started. I want to invite you to find chapter 2 with me. And we're talking this evening on the theme, Boldly Going Where Few Men Go. Boldly Going Where Few Men Go. And I've given you a, a sermon guide for tonight. You can follow along with that as well. But pick up reading with me in verse 1. It says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said uh, to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. I want you to underscore that phrase right there because that is a key phrase in the book of Nehemiah. The good hand of my God was upon me. Verse 9 continues, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and the horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night. 
I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were with me to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? You see, folks, if you were to go back to Ezra chapter four, you would see how back then the king had issued a decree that the building of the wall stopped. I mentioned that briefly last week. And so now Artaxerxes has reversed his previous policy, allowing Nehemiah to continue. But the enemies are still thinking that they're rebelling against that previous edict. Verse 20, Nehemiah says, Then I replied to them, The God of heaven will make us prosper, and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. You know, oftentimes when we are burdened about something and we go to God in prayer, God uses us sometimes to answer our own prayers. He works through us. I want to give you an example of this. Take the case of Ron Lentz as an example. I just want to read a story to you, a true story about Ron Lentz. He had no idea that God would use him to be the answer to his own prayers back in 2002. Uh, if you remember what was going on that was in the national news back then, America was being terrorized in the Washington, D.C. area by two snipers, John Allen Muhammad and John Lee Malvo. Now, Ron Lentz leads the men's ministry at his church. Uh, he teaches Sunday school and he goes on mission trips and he takes supplies to poor people who live in the Appalachia area. He's also a veteran truck driver. He's been driving a truck, a semi, for 36 years. Well, because of his profession, he would constantly listen on the radio to every update that was being given about the snipers and where officials feared that they might be. 
Uh, he wrote down on information on all of the leads what kind of car they were suspected to be driving along with their license tag number. Well, on October the 29th, 2002, Ron pulled into a rest stop on Interstate 70 in Frederick County, Maryland, and he spotted the Chevy Caprice. Muhammad was sleeping in the car and Malvo was outside of the car and he was resting on a bench. Ron immediately called 911 and alerted authorities. He then pulled his 18-wheeler across the exit so that they couldn't escape. Within minutes, the snipers were arrested and they were in handcuffs. What's so amazing about that story is what had transpired just minutes earlier that evening. Just 30 minutes earlier on the road, Ron Lance had experienced a deep burden on his heart to pray. He couldn't put it into words, but he said there was just, just this deep burden and a heaviness that came over him that he needed to be in prayer about this situation. And so he invited other truckers on his CB radio to pull over with him and that collectively they would go to God together in prayer. And so that's what they did. Now, folks, I want you to think about that. Again, Ron said he felt this heaviness on his heart to do that. He got back in his truck, continued his journey. 30 minutes down the road, God used him to be an answer to his own prayer. Isn't it amazing the way that God works sometimes. God uses us at times to be an answer to our own prayer. And that's what God is going to do with Nehemiah. Nehemiah has this tremendous burden on his heart for his own people, and he prays to God, and God is going to use Nehemiah in phenomenal ways to be an answer to his burden and his prayers. Now, chapter 1 left us with Nehemiah praying because he had this burden. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, that we are to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and we are not to lean upon our own understanding. We are to acknowledge God in all of our ways and we are to trust Him to direct our steps and to make our path straight. That's what Nehemiah is doing. Now, what we see here tonight in this chapter is that seeking the mind and heart of God through prayer is what we are always to do, especially when we are faced with great challenges in life. Now, as chapter 2 opens, you'll notice that we are in the month Nisan now. We've gone from the month Kislev to now we're in the month Nisan. Now, what that means is that four months have passed since Nehemiah has gotten that discouraging report uh, from the people who had come to Jerusalem. And when he asked them back in chapter one uh, how Jerusalem was doing and they told him and, and he was so discouraged and he began praying, four months have now transpired since Nehemiah first heard that news. And that's going to be important uh, as we get into this tonight. Think about that four-month period of time that Nehemiah has been praying. Well, let's talk about some lessons from tonight's chapter. First of all, I, I want you to notice on your notes, your handout page tonight, when faced with great challenges, 
We must pray and wait. You know, we tend to give up, don't we? we? We quit praying about a matter maybe after only a few days or a few weeks if we even continue in prayer that long. Jesus told a parable in Luke chapter 18 about being persistent in our prayers. I, I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn over with me to Luke chapter 18 for a moment because I want to talk about this parable of prayer that has to do with the need of persistence. Now listen to what Jesus says there in, in verse 1. Uh, Luke tells us, he says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not to lose heart. There's a contrast being set up there, isn't there? If we're not praying, we just might be losing heart. We might be tempted to give up. We need to pray so we won't do that. Now listen to the parable. Jesus said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That little widow lady in that story had nothing going for her by the world standards. She didn't have any of the strength, any of the wealth, any of the position or power of somebody in the world. She was just a poor little helpless widow, but she had one thing going for her that Jesus points out that was used tremendously. She had her persistence. She kept going before this judge and finally this judge says, lest she blacken my eye. And that was a, a uh, saying for so that she won't blacken my reputation. So that she won't scar my reputation. I better give her what she wants. And Jesus says, I want you to listen to what this unjust judge says. And, and Jesus is not going to compare the heavenly father with this unjust judge, but he's contrasting them. His point is, if an unjust judge can be moved to answer a widow's petition, because of her persistence. How about the righteous judge of the universe? If an unjust judge will do this, how much more will the righteous judge of the universe hear his children who persistently cry out to him? But then Jesus ends that parable by saying, but nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns to the earth, will he find faith? In other words, what Jesus is pointing out 
It takes faith to be persistent in our prayers. If we don't believe that God's going to answer our prayers, we might give up. It takes faith to persist. Now, look at what Nehemiah did, which illustrates this same truth. Nehemiah hung in there praying for four months with this great burden upon his heart. He's been fasting, and he's been praying, and he's been mourning. Folks, Christians, and especially Christian leaders, need to pray. We need to be bathing everything we do in prayer. You see, prayer and reflection gives us time to allow God to make His ways clear to us. I've said to people from time to time, when they're ready to just run and jump into something immediately, I'll tell somebody just to step back and pray about it for a little while. Commit it to prayer. The whole time you're committing it to prayer, be thinking, what would Jesus do? How does God want to handle this? Commit the situation to prayer. Persistently pray. And again, that's what Nehemiah has been doing for four months. He didn't just run out and immediately try to do something in his own strength, in his own power, in his own wisdom. He went before God for four months and was waiting on God to show him what to do next. Wonderful principle to live by. Now somebody says, well, pastor, I know that I'm to pray, but I don't know how to pray or what am I to pray for? Well, I would encourage you to use the Lord's Prayer as a model for your own prayer life. Over in uh, Matthew chapter 6, you remember the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. They had seen him pray and they wanted to be able to pray like he was. And so he told them the Lord's Prayer. Now his purpose in saying the Lord's Prayer isn't to give us a prayer that we simply come to church and recite every week, but his purpose in giving them the Lord's Prayer is so that they could understand the different things they need to, to be praying about. Now, the reason I want to read the Lord's Prayer to you and, and talk about this for a moment, again, tied in with persistent prayer, when you don't know what to pray for or how to pray, I think the Lord's Prayer gives us a great deal of guidance. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So when you're persisting in prayer, what are some things you need to be praying about? Jesus said, first of all, Father, hallowed be thy name. 
We are to pray for the name of Christ to be glorified in whatever it is that we are asking God to do. Folks, when there is a burden on your heart and you're praying, pray that God's name would end up being glorified through your situation. We see how Nehemiah fits into that. Nehemiah wasn't praying for his own name to be exalted. Nehemiah was praying that through the walls being rebuilt that God's name would be held in high esteem again and that God's people wouldn't be a reproach any longer. They had been a reproach long enough and by God's people being a reproach, Nehemiah was saying also God's name has suffered reproach. As long as God's city was in ruins and God's people were attacked, you see, it looked like God was not able to protect his people. And so essentially, Nehemiah is asking that God's name and God's glory would be vindicated. Folks, as we pray in, in the body of Christ in America, we look at all the headlines across America. We, we see everything that's going on in the land. And, and You know, we ought to have a burden. We ought to have a burden about what's happening in America. What in the world is going on in this country? It ought to be a burden to us. And as we think about all these challenges and we think about this burden, we need to pray that God would help us in such a way that the name of Christ would be advanced and furthered and that the name of Christ would be high and exalted. We need to pray, God, hallowed be your name. Well, secondly, Jesus said, pray for God's kingdom to come. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God. When the Lord Jesus came to earth, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is near. You see, the incarnation of Christ signified that it was closer to being realized. But it's not come fully yet. Now, ultimately, we know that that's not going to happen until the end of the tribulation time and God completes what he's doing in this present age. In the meantime, we need to pray that his kingdom would be furthered in our midst. We are to make this a matter of prayer. This is what Nehemiah is asking. By, by reading the book of Nehemiah, we can see that all Nehemiah wanted was for God to be in charge of Jerusalem and for God's business to be furthered. Thirdly, thy will be done. Too many people are busy about accomplishing their own will, their own agenda. We need to be praying that God's will would be done. Again, that's all Nehemiah wanted in his situation. Now, folks, so far in the Lord's Prayer, you'll notice the petitions have been about God. God ought to be first in our prayers. God's name, God's kingdom, and God's will. 
And so as you get a burden on your heart like Nehemiah and you're praying about that burden time and time and time again, you ought to be praying that God would answer that prayer, the prayer to your burden, based on what's best for His name, His kingdom, and His will. Now, this doesn't mean that we don't pray about our own needs. God knows that we have needs in the process too. And God's concerned about our needs, and so he, Jesus addresses that in the last half of the Lord's Prayer. He says, first of all, related to man's needs, uh, say to God, give us this day our daily bread. We're to pray for our daily necessities. Now that great reformer during the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther, great reformer, I hope you'll read some about Martin Luther and, and how God used him. Martin Luther said, and, and by the way, I think Martin Luther is exactly right in this. Martin Luther said that this petition right here, give us, Lord, our daily bread, refers to all of our basic necessities of life. Not just our bread, but our water, uh, a roof over our heads, a bed to sleep in, just basic necessities of life. God give us all of the basic necessities of life that we need. And then he says, forgive us our debts. We saw last week how Nehemiah was asking for his forgiveness uh, for how Nehemiah and his people had disobeyed God. Folks, sin will be a barrier to God doing his work in our lives. And so if there is sin, you need to confess it. Have you ever noticed when you start confessing particular sins, your radar is up more throughout the day concerning that sin? Because you've been confessing that sin, you're more sensitive to it. Confessing it helps you to try to avoid it. Then Jesus said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a petition that God will not get us into a situation that is over our head that we're not ready to deal with. He's also asking that God would protect us from the evil one. Now, you'll notice in reading the book of Nehemiah, several occasions through the book of Nehemiah, we're going to see how they had to trust God to deliver them from evil and from evil people. You see, the evil one uses evil people. That's one way that Satan attacks. Satan not only uses his demonic forces, his demonic army of fallen angels, but he can use evil people to do his dirty work. And so we need to pray that God would protect us from that and protect us from the opposition of those people. And so again, the Lord's Prayer helps us to know what to pray for when we've got a heavy burden on our heart the way Nehemiah did. How else are we to pray? Well, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that we need to ask and keep on asking. We need to seek and keep on seeking and we need to knock and keep on knocking. We need to ask and we can pray with confidence when we know that what we are asking for is within the scope of God's will. 
1 John 5, 14 to 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Nehemiah could know this. Nehemiah could know that he was praying within the scope of God's will. You say, well, Scott, how do you know that? Well, God had revealed that when Cyrus became king and, the, and he led the Persians to defeat the Babylonians, God revealed about Cyrus that Cyrus would give a decree so that the people could go back and rebuild the land. God had told them this. And as of yet, this job is unfinished. What that means is that Nehemiah could know that he was asking for something that was in the scope of God's will. He was praying according to the will of God. Folks, when you and I are praying according to the will of God, we can persist in that prayer and we can pray with confidence. How about when we are unsure of what God's will might be in a matter? Well, in that case, Jesus said, seek. Not only ask, but seek. We need to seek the heart and the mind of God. That, that can save us a lot of heartache later on. Sometimes people run ahead of God and they end up regretting it for maybe even years to come, sometimes decades to come. Now, we seek God primarily, I believe, through reading His Word. And by praying for proper understanding of his word. Folks, reading God's word is critical to understanding God's will. Much of God's will is, is told to us in the word of God. And so that means if we want to know more of the will of God, we need to read more of the Word of God because in the Word of God, we see how God has dealt with His people down through the centuries. Seek God's will by your daily Bible reading. And that's going to impact how you pray. Now, beyond that, when you're still struggling, pray for wisdom and guidance. James 1.5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Then we reach the next stage of praying. What if we ask and seek and the answer still doesn't come? Jesus said, knock and keep on knocking. Persistence. Folks, Nehemiah did that for four long months. You see, he had to wait for God's timing. During that four long months, God was not only working on Nehemiah's heart, but God was also working on the king's heart. He was getting the king willing to do what Nehemiah was going to be asking him to do. And Nehemiah was going to need boldness. Nehemiah was going to need courage. 
Had Nehemiah just bolted right into the presence of the king during the events of chapter 1, the king might have said, no, you're not going. You're my cupbearer, and I need you staying with me. But during those four months of Nehemiah praying, God was also working on the king's heart. You know, God's got perfect timing, doesn't he? I think what Paul said in Galatians chapter 4 when he said, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God's got perfect time. Isaiah 40, 31 says, Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Sometimes people just want to jump into something or they want to jump out of something without waiting and praying and asking and seeking and knocking. Let Nehemiah be a lesson to you in your prayer life that you need to carry those burdens before God and you need to wait on Him. Don't just run ahead. People sometimes want to jump out of one job and into another. Or jump out of one relationship and into another. Sometimes people want to jump out of a marriage. We know that's not God's will. Now, in some cases, God allows divorce in the case of adultery or in the case of abandonment. But folks, I've even seen God bring about restoration and reconciliation even when adultery and abandonment have taken place. God doesn't want us just jumping out of things. Give him time to work. Don't just jump into something either. Give God time to work. Is God going to answer? Yes. Some people jump into a financial decision or jump out of a financial decision too soon and they end up losing a great deal of money and hurting themselves and their family. Folks, I understand God's people get into some very difficult places and very difficult relationships. I understand that. I do. But I want you to know something. God might have you in the middle of a difficult situation to teach you something. If you go jumping into something or jumping out of something too soon without waiting for God, you might miss the very thing that God was going to do in your life. Does God answer our prayers? Yes. Sometimes God answers immediately. There's not much waiting. I think of when Simon Peter stepped out of that boat and he was sinking, he said, Lord, help me. And Jesus reached forth and he pulled him up. He helped him right on the spot. Sometimes God answers only after a, a, a delay. He's got a purpose in there. I think of when Lazarus died and, and Jesus only went there after four days. And, and, and Jesus used the delay to bring further glory to his name. 
because nobody could have doubted then that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And so Jesus had a purpose in the delay. And so God might say, yes, I'm going to answer your prayer, but only after a certain amount of time because God has something bigger in mind. Sometimes God may tell you no, but folks, no is still an answer. Sometimes God may answer in a different way than you expected. You didn't even see it coming. You might be praying for patience and God sends you tribulation. You're like, I didn't ask for tribulation. I asked for patience. But the Bible says tribulation worketh patience. And so God may answer your prayer, but in a different way than what you anticipated. But will God answer prayer? Yes. And that's why Paul is able to say in 1 Thessalonians 5 that you and I need to be praying without ceasing. The result of Nehemiah's four months of praying is that the king answered his request. God moved upon the king's heart. Folks, God can change people and God can change circumstances. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. The Hebrew word there means the irrigation channels of a river. Men control those. They bend those irrigation channels through one field and then through another field. They might turn the channel left or might turn it right. They bend it a little bit. The Bible says that that is what God is able to do with the heart of a king. A king's heart is in God's hands. And just as men would bend those irrigation lines out in a field, God can do that with the king's heart. And that's what God is doing here. And, and so again, what do we see? We see that when faced with great challenges, we must pray and we must wait. Now secondly on your outline tonight, and we'll need to start moving a little bit faster. I wanted to spend a lot of time under that first point because that sort of lays the foundation. But secondly, when faced with great challenges, we must allow our plans to be born out of prayer. 